1: Hello everybody and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. It's our wrap of day three from Lords, and Australia have grabbed control of this test match. They lead by 221 runs with eight wickets in hand. Play was curtailed a little bit by the English weather, but still enough time for Australia to clean up England in the morning and then set about getting a massive lead. Good morning, Paul Dennett. What a night for Australia.
2: Hello, Meners. Hello, everyone makes me think of the preview that the BBC did before the series and Ebony rainford Brent quoting the famous Mike Tyson line and uh, adapting it to baseball saying, well, Mike Tyson used to say, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I think that today or yesterday um, was Australia punching England in the mouth. It was a very, very bad day for England.
1: Yeah, it was. And we've got so much to talk about. But I can just give you an insight into how bad it was for England that after play, they sent out their spin bowling coach to do the press (laughs) conferences. And one of the English media made the point that not only were they just putting out the spin bowling coach, but there's actually no specialist spinner in the England team. Um, So instead they sent out (laughs) Jeetan Patel, who is a a New Zealand spin. He's from New Zealand and he's been brainwashed by Brendan McCullum. So we just got this sort of trite um, lines that they pull out about trying to score quickly. So, um, you know, England haven't got things right on the field and they certainly
2: haven't got it right off the field. Um, Reminds me of, um, reminds me of uh, Australia years ago. I think it might've been, after one of those horrendous days they had in that first test in 1997, that they actually sent Errol Orcott to the press conference. Um, and I remember Neville Oliver on ABC radio saying what a disgrace that was that, you know, you've got to show a little bit more respect to the press conference than send the, sending the physio. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I'd much rather see Errol Alcott than uh, Jeetan Patel. But anyway, it was a, a terrible, terrible uh, stroke from the England management. Um, all right, so let's get back to the play. So England started the day with... Six wickets in hand. They had Brooke and Stokes out there. And from the second ball of the day, Ben Stokes was caught in the slips by Mitch- off the bowling of Mitchell Stark by Cameron Green for just 17. And that left England uh, five for 279. So a tremendous start for Australia, Paul.
2: Well, if you're not true to baseball, that's what happens. You know, he didn't play a shot and anger, got a good one and was out. He should have been playing shots.
1: <laughs> oh, we'll I get
2: the point the point is um and i'm going to be critical of the way that they played but there is that still that point of that um uh if you do play proper test cricket uh as everyone was lauding ben stokes for doing eventually you may get an unplayable delivery and, and off you go for not many um had he been swiping and, and swishing he probably would have scored more had Harry Brook, who ended up getting a fifty, played orthodox cricket the whole way, he may have got one that was good and um, not got so many. But I think that we, as we're going to talk about, there is a, a middle way. You can still be attacking without being um, reckless.
1: Exactly. And, and look, Stokes did get a good one. It was it was uh, the first ball of the day was sort of a fast, shorter delivery that hurried Stokes up, and then the next one just bounced a bit more outside off stump. Good length delivery from Stark and. Found I think the, the first one
2: hurried, um, hurried Brook up. They they got a quick single, didn't they? Oh yeah, you're right. So it was Brook,
1: and um, so you know Stark, so Stark started really well. Um, and I thought you know that that was just such a vital moment. You know, clearly if England could get through that sort of initial burst, um, we saw Travis Head coming into the attack an hour into play, so they really only had to bat sensibly for an hour or so and try and keep Australia out there. But alas, that doesn't play into the basball tactics. Um So Stokes was out.
2: Uh, Travis had really, sorry, I was going to say, Travis had but he did come on, come on, talk two wickets in, in and over I mean, what, what were your thoughts um, as when Travis had? did you think it was a good decision to bring you on?
1: no I actually put out a tweet that I don't think Travis Head should be bowling and I, I stand by the tweet I think you know you're an hour and 10 minutes into play you've got four quick bowlers I'm sure if you're Stuart Broad or Ollie Robinson you'd rather face Travis Head than Mitchell Stark or Pat Cummins or Cameron Green or Josh Hazelwood and in the end, Australia did manage to buy a couple of wickets because I think the England lower order thought, oh, we're going to get a few here against uh, Head. And what Ollie Robinson came down the pitch and was stumped, and Broad swung across the line. So, yep, Cummins got that one right, Paul.
2: Uh, look, I'm begging a bit unfair, given that I've been espousing the theory of baseball and saying that England's going to win and everything else. And uh, you know, I've picked on a micro thing for me where the macro thing is that as things stand, my um, predictions are looking pretty sick.
1: <laughs> uh, but but I'm you know I thought head bowled well. But going back to the the early wickets, so there's there's one wicket that's really drawn the eye of many people. Harry Brook, who, who's playing really well, was fifty of sixty-eight deliveries when he well he he spooned a short ball to cover. Mitchell Stark went short to him. Brook backed away and just hit it to. Uh, in the air to Pat Cummins at cover. He took an easy catch. And, you know, Brooke is someone that can score quickly. He'd been given a life on 25. And that just seemed a, a very, very soft dismissal.
2: It's so soft that one day they're filming the kind of the the story of Baz Ball. If the actor playing Harry Brook had played that shot in filming, they would have said, look, yeah, good. You got caught, but they wouldn't have played that, that bad a shot. Come on, mate. We're going to have to make it look a bit, a little bit more authentic. Um, it was I think Mike Atherton in the Times made a good point that last summer, even though they scored at a breakneck speed and Johnny Basto did some amazing things, the feature of his play was still intelligent aggression. And I remember watching it that you're thinking the the, the scoring rate at which he was going, he must have been doing all sorts of crazy things. He was just defending the good balls and absolutely smoking the bad ones. And as I said at the start of the show, there has to be a middle way. It's it was tough out there. You know, he'd been um, he'd been struck on the body. He'd um, was facing some serious heat. Uh, but yeah, to back away and play that shot when he'd been doing it all the previous day without much success, it just wasn't a percentage play.
1: And a bit more humble pie eating. I think the selectors got the team spot on. The Australian tack was perfect. I thought Mitchell Stark. He got what root. On the evening of the second day, and then starts off day three and gets Stokes and Brooks. So Root, Stokes, Brooks, three massive wickets, all to Mitchell Stark. He does bowl boundary balls, but he does bowl a lot of wicket taking balls, and I just think we saw that in full effect.
2: Um, are you saying that I should be getting humble pie, or you, or both of us?
1: Uh, no, just like just generally, like sometimes we criticise the makeup of the attack, but um, I think they've got this one right.
2: Oh, I, look, I mean. I, I think that um, Stark has had a, a wonderful, a wonderful morning, and yeah, um, uh, I'd agree with that. I think, on balance, I still thought that that um, Bolan might have been a better option.
1: No, here we go. After, yeah, here we um, go. And, and then you wouldn't take you long to bite back. Go on.
2: Oh, you know, you're allowed to, <laughs> you're allowed to look at things without uh, uh, having to be a hundred percent implacably one way or the other. I, I still think that Boland would have bowled well on this on this pitch. Um, Stark after a poor first day had a fantastic second day with the ball. Um, yeah, you know, that's that's. I think those statements are all perfectly valid.
1: Indeed, they are. Just pulling your leg on this Saturday morning after very little <laughs> sleep for the last three nights. Um, I, I don't even know where I am. <laughs> um, yeah, we're living on English time zone, but still try to work on Australian time zone, so... <laughs> It's pretty hard. Um, all right. So, um, England went to drinks at six for 311. Baersto was 16 not out, Broad eight not out. And I think, still, you know, there's a real danger here that Baersto can make a plucky 50 or 60 and actually get the England total to pretty much around parity with Australia's first innings. But first ball after the drinks break, Baersto continued the trend of dumb English dismissals and just hit a, a just a gentle loosener from Hazelwood to Cummins at mid on for a simple catch, tried to slog it over the top. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know the Lord's lunches are famous and perhaps Johnny Best, I was like, need to get up and get the pads off and be ready for the lunchroom.
2: Yeah. I think it was just a poor shot. And that sometimes happens with the the way that they play. I, I'm less critical of, of the intent from him than from other players, I think it's just one of these things that happens, but yeah, he's obviously be disappointed with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just thought, have a look at one after the drinks break and don't make Australia work for your wicket. You're the one that needs to be there right to the end of this innings and get as many as you can. Sh- show some ticker, and uh, that was just meek, very, very meek. um. So that left the tail to face some hostile bowling, not from Travis Head's end, but from the other end. And Cameron Green hit Stuart Broad very hard on the head, a short ball that missed the grill and just cannoned into Broad's jaw. It was actually a a pretty, uh, you know, hard hit for for Broad there.
2: He showed some ticker as well. Like he kept on going. I mean, that must have hurt. Um, And you never like to see it, but it shows the – it shows what Cameron Green can do. Um, he's a, a very, very handy bowler to have as our um, effectively backup seamer.
1: That's right. And with Lyon unable to bowl, it's really, really important that he can take some extra over. So so after that hit in the head, Broad went LBW. To, sorry, Robinson was out stumped for for nine uh, trying to hit um, head into the crowd. And there's a bit of history for those two. They do play together in county
2: cricket for Sussex, so they know each other pretty well. Um, Just to pick you up on that um, To to credit Alex Carey um, It wasn't stumped because it was a catch And Carey took such a good catch um, uh, Everyone's instinct watching it was Why didn't he take the bails off Because um, you just do that But then it became apparent it was such a big nick And a a really good catch
1: No, you spot on, it was caught behind I've got the image of Robinson running down the pitch Um, (laughs) So he was out caught behind Then uh, Stuart brought LBW to head Swinging across the line Plum in front um, and then Josh Tung was the last to go caught by Renshaw off Cummins for one. Jimmy Anderson, not out, zero. Mitchell Stark, 17 overs, three for 88. Pat Cummins, 16.2 overs, one for 46. Josh Hazelwood, 13 overs, two for 71. Nathan Lyon, 13 overs, one for 35. Cameron Green, nine overs, one for 54. And Travis, uh, Travis Head, seven overs, two for 17. And Steve Smith also bowled over. So the wickets were shared around and, um, yeah, good effort from the Australians to dismiss England for 325. So trailing Australia's 416 by 91. And yesterday morning England lost six for 47 in calamitous fashion. It, it really did potentially
2: cough up the ashes. Absolutely. It was a, 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 a horrific morning and, um Sadly for England, how bad it was, was then put in context by by what happened next.
1: Yeah, so Australia had to come out to bat under pretty heavy skies in London, and the ball was doing a bit. Australia faced, I think, six overs before the lunch break. Kwaj and Warner got through to the lunch break um, without losing a wicket and then went on to put on 63 for the opening partnership. Warner battled to 25 off 76 deliveries, Uh, before he was out lbw to josh tongue who pinned him plum in front um one of my uh, co-hosts sent me a message that it was missing leg um but it wasn't it was smashing into leg stump and uh warner (laughs) that was that was live
2: i said i'm not i'm not um denying it after the replay um but yeah, I got that one wrong as 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 bleary eyed umpire did it. <laughs> <laughs> so um
1: so Australia lost its first wicket at 63 and actually uh, battled pretty hard to tea. They only scored 69 runs in that middle session, just losing the wicket of um, Warner. Kawaj was 45 not out. Labuschagne eight not out at the tee break. And then after play, there was only about an hour's um, action before the rain came. But in that time, Marius Labashain was dismissed, spooning a wide delivery off Jimmy Anderson to Harry Brook at Gully. He was out for 30, and that left Australia two for 123. They put on seven more um, before the rain came. So they're two for 130 at Stumps. They lead by 221. Khawaj 58, not out. Smith six, not out. That's Khawaj's third 50 in four innings. I mean, Ter- terrific stuff for him. He'd really struggled in English conditions before this tour and now has put that all to rest with three half centuries. I mean, the pitches are to his liking, but we're seeing some phenomenal batting.
2: Certainly are. And, you know, you could say the pitches to his liking or the pitches have been to his liking, but, you know, you can't do much more than on a pitch that um, is doing something. There's some uh, quite alarming bounce at points during, during the day. And he's batting in gray conditions against an, a, an attack led by Jimmy Anderson. And he's still scoring runs. Uh, I think that it was a very fine performance from um, Kawaja. and England really missed an opportunity. And they, they missed literally some opportunities. There's one that Kawaja pulled um, straight through the hands of Jimmy Anderson, who was fielding at midwicket. Uh, there was another one that Broad had uh, uh, LBW um, to, I think, Labashain, Given not out, they didn't challenge it. Um, The replay showed that it was out. And on another day, they didn't bowl badly, England. But under those conditions, uh, I think a par result now would be Australia four or five down. And the fact that Australia have resisted that, only got to two down, um, is a very impressive effort by the Aussies. And it was kind of symptomatic towards the end where Jimmy Anderson, under these conditions, was bowling with the wicket keeper up and, um, you know, he eventually did get the wicket of Labashain, but there was one where he was bowling with the keeper up and I think Labashain slapped him through point for four. And you thought, geez, um, you don't like to say it, but for the first time ever, Anderson's almost um, starting to show his age potentially.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it can't be helping them. The fact that England is scoring so quickly that they're actually not giving their bowlers much time to rest. I mean, you know, England didn't get a full day. The England bowling attack didn't get a full day's rest um, between the two innings. And it's going to catch up with them as this series goes on. And, uh, yeah, I thought England looked pretty tired and ragged by the end there. As you say, the conditions were in their favour. But, you know, Kawaj's patience really blunted their attack. And I can only imagine, you know, if Australia can get through that, the morning session um, on day four, what the England attack's going to look like after lunch. Yeah, and I think that Warner,
2: um, although it, it, you know on the scoreboard, it's not a massive innings. Warner played a nice little innings as well. It's one of those um, it was a more valuable innings than a than a hundred in the second innings when you're just slogging batting for a declaration is. It was a very valuable little innings. And um, i I didn't mention it before our before in our um, preview, I don't think, but I meant to. I, I found it a, quite strange that England have gone into this game without Chris Wokes. And I'm not saying that in hindsight. That's what I, I would have definitely got him into the side. I mean, his Lord's record is, is almost um, uh, comical. Like he's got a batting average of 61 in test matches at Lord's and a bowling average of 11. Um, he, you know, he's just a, a really, really good cricketer. And I think that they are uh, clearly missing him. In hindsight, you might have brought him in instead of someone like Anderson, uh, I wasn't criticizing Anderson's selection before the game. Um, in hindsight, I was, but I would have found a way to get wokes in there.
1: Yeah, it would have been interesting to see him on that deck and the, with the ball swinging around on day three. Andy, so- uh,
2: um, something to their their um, lower order at the moment as well, with you know with the fact that they're kind of um, Ollie Robinson and Broad coming in at sort of um, uh, eight and nine in whatever order is uh, is not great.
1: Yeah, Ollie Robinson did not want to stay out there and face the short stuff yesterday, that's for sure. So it's all set up for day four. Hopefully we get clear blue skies and uh, Australia can get a big lead. I I think Australia have to be a little bit more conservative than they normally would, given the fact that Nathan Lyon probably won't be able to bowl in the second innings. And for those that haven't seen, Nathan Lyon went into the ground on crutches with his calf strapped up. They've made no announcements about whether he can bowl or not. I think they just want to, you know, leave that seed of doubt in the England team, but it looks highly unlikely that we'll see him out there in this match and the the rest of the series. So yeah, I think Australia probably need a few more than they might normally uh, given Lyon's injury.
2: It's going to be really fascinating to see um, how it pans out. I mean, obviously it's always possible that England could hit back and bowl them out and uh, talk of a speculation about a declaration point becomes moot, but um the, the weather forecast is pretty good for the final two days. There's going to be, I think, uh, there's rain around um, overnight and probably some rain around in the morning, but it should, it should be pretty much cleared by the start of play. There will be some, some sort of intermittently overcast and intermittently sunny conditions, so it shouldn't be too bad for batting. But I think if I was Pat Cummins, my viewpoint would be, yes, I want to win this game, But and I said this in the show yesterday, there is no way known that I want to declare and give England a chance to suddenly rest things back. Because the thing about the Lord's pitch, everyone's saying it does flatten out. And if on day five, as there's a fair bit of sun forecast, if it happens to flatten out on day five and Australia has presented England with what on paper looks like an insurmountable challenge, but England go at it with Bazball and get a bit of luck, then it could suddenly turn still from this point ugly for Australia. I think they should be committed to saying we're willing to sacrifice the win and to not to sacrifice the win, but to risk sacrificing the win to, to avoid um, having the loss, which is very unbasball. Um, but I, I think that they're in a powerful position now. They should give England absolutely no chance of winning this game. If they can help it.
1: Excellent. The brainwashing on Paul Dennett's finally wearing off. I So I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking about that. What would be a sort of target that I think Australia should look at? And I think if they can lead, sort of somewhere between 450 and 500 with about an hour's play to go tonight, that's that's a declaration I'd be comfortable with. Still gives us a good chance to bowl them out because England, you know, struggled about 80 overs anyway, but given the test match and the Ashes are on the line, I guarantee they'll bloody dig in because they're not that stupid. So what do you think? No, they'll we, go for it. we will go for it. Oh, no, I think they'll I think go that... for it, but I think there's also at some point they they'll try
2: and bat it out. Well, maybe, but, but I think th- by the time that they're at that point, that'll that'll be too late. I, I think if, you, if they Australia set them to, let's say, 450 with um, 100 overs to get them in, um, England would look at that and say, it's going to be a pretty flat wicket. If it was a one-dayer um, in 50 overs, we'd back ourselves to get 300 on this pitch. Um, we've got double that to only get a little bit more. Um, I- I'm sure they'll temper their aggression a little bit, but... I i wouldn't be giving them that level of generosity, 450 and 100 overs. Wow. I would be, you know, by all means, accelerate beforehand and lose some wickets in making it, um, you know, getting a, a target higher than 450. But you give England 450 and 100 overs, of course, Australia's almost, you know, very likely to win. I know that that amount has never been chased down in test cricket before. But you look at last summer and the chases that England made, they, I think four consecutive chases um, of, of, of very high amounts in English conditions. If it happens to flatten out and if they play with that absolute freedom, um, anything's possible. So I'd be willing to say if it's 450 with a hundred overs, let's back the final 10 overs tonight. Absolutely maul it and give them 520 off 90 overs and see how you go with that champs.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, I, I mean, I see your point. I think if we've got, you know, 450, 500 with a hundred overs, then the Aussie bowlers should back themselves and go for the win. Um, you know, leaving Lords two zip up would be, you know, the nail in the coffin for you know, the ashes and potentially Baz Um, well, I'm
2: not is- saying I'm not saying to play for a draw. Uh, I'm saying, um, don't don't leave the door open, and that you can ensure that you still have plenty of time to bowl them out. Um, but but your point again, if 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 you're saying that they need a hundred overs to bowl them out, um, if England get to the hundredth over, they'll have won. It won't be a draw.
1: Well, it's fascinating. Pat Cummins is going to have a tough decision to make. Just just last point, and then we're going to wrap this up. Um, on Travis Head um, bowling, my issue with that is I'm worried that Australia are sort of thinking about, oh, you know, we can't bowl Cameron Green too much, and we've got to preserve our bowlers for the next test match. Whereas you've got four quick bowlers. This is the advantage to having Cameron Green in your side. Like, don't worry about that now. Like, get through this match give it your darndest to try and win it and stop, you know, worrying about the next match or the next week, because to me, as I said, an hour into play, I know Travis had got the wickets, but it felt to me Cummins is like, Ooh, you know, we need to keep our bowlers fresh. I'll bring Travis head on. But in fact, you know, the, 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 Match dictated that our best bowler should be on trying to get wickets, and I just hope that we don't take that attitude into the second innings. That oh, you know, we've got to we can't bowl Cameron Green too much. I mean, you know, he's he's been in the side long enough now. He's a long way out from that back injury. You know, if we need him to bowl twenty overs on day five, he's just got to bloody do it.
2: No, not at all. I mean, if 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 in doing so he's going to then, um, according to the sports sports sides experts, risk doing his back and then being out for a year, that would be insane. And I don't think that they're bowling Travis Head uh, for that reason. I think they're bowling Travis Head because he's a pretty handy bowler and the pitch is doing a little bit. And he took two wickets in the over. He looked good in um, the Tour of Sri Lanka. I think his um, off-spin has improved and I I think he's a a viable option. Um, So I'm more than happy for them to give him a few overs.
1: I hope he does an Ash Gardner and takes eight for 60 odd on day five and makes another, <laughs> makes me look to look, look like a goose because I do really like Travis Head. And you're right, he, he does actually get a bit of purchase on the ball. He doesn't just roll them out. Um, all right. So uh, that's the state of play at Lords. But uh, I want to touch on some very sad news that, that um, was revealed overnight that former Australian captain and a true legend of cricket, Alan Border, has revealed he has Parkinson's. Um, you know, Paul, I'll let you start with this one you know shocking news
2: yeah very sad I mean um, he's 67 and apparently has had it for uh, for seven years and so I I think he's gone public now because people were were starting to notice uh, there are a few symptoms and so um, oh look obviously just wish him all the best he was um, my favorite cricketer growing up and for, for people of a certain generation they remember that the, the one true horrible time that Australian cricket had was in the, in the mid eighties. And it was Alan Border who held the side together. It was often, he was the only world-class player in the side. And then Australia came roaring back under his leadership. Plus just an absolutely star of a player averaging over 50 with the bat at a time when Australia seemed to get the West Indies out here pretty much every summer, if they could, <laughs> Like you know, there was no easy runs back in those days. Um, absolute champion, AB and always just seemed indestructible. I remember uh, years later, when he was, uh, um, I think, uh, part of the selection panel, the, the coach, uh, the coaching setup, that Jason Gillespie was coming back from an injury, and um, Boarder thought, well, the best way to see if he's, f- he's fit is to face him in the nets. And afterwards, Gillespie said, "I went absolutely full on at this bloke who was, I don't know, rising fifty at the time, and I didn't get a single ball past him. Um, that's how good he still was." So, uh, yeah, uh, he's, and he also he belies his captain grumpy. Um, sort of uh, nickname in the sense that he seems to be the most affable friendly guy away from the the white line fever so uh yeah look um you know he's still going okay and he's um I' got, got many many years to come but uh let's hope that there's a, uh, more drugs on the way and a bit of a cure and he, he said he's no chance of living to 80 let alone 100 but um who knows he wouldn't put it past him
1: yeah I Echo what you said and you know he is just you know Australian cricket owes him such a huge debt of gratitude he was the captain for 10 years he built a culture that then Uh, went on to dominate world cricket uh, post his retirement. And you're right, you know, he has this reputation for being Captain Grumpy, but he was the first ever international cricketer I met. Him, Swampy Marsh, the late Dean Jones and David Boone at the Royal Hotel in Paddington in the early 90s and um, seen him a lot in the press box and he's been interviewed on this podcast. And he is a lovely, lovely man, very generous um, yeah, as the opposite of his Captain Grumpy image. And, you know, I expressed to you my concerns about his health privately over the last summer. Um, so I'm, I'm not surprised by this diagnosis, but very, very sad because, you know, he is a true legend of Australian cricket. And, you know, he wasn't able to beat the Allen Border Awards earlier this year. And um, yeah, just send him our best wishes and his family our best wishes because um you know, it takes a lot of courage to reveal that diagnosis being such a, you know, important figure in Australian cricket. And um, yeah, I think it's hit a lot of supporters very hard.
2: Yeah. It was very sad to read it. And as I said, um, he's, uh, he's having treatment treatment these days is a lot better than it once was. Um, So there's still some cause for, for, for positivity, but it's a, yeah, it's, it's a very sad, uh, very sad announcement.
1: All right, well, I think we should wrap it up. It's our wrap from day three at Lords. You've been listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menes joined by my co-host, uh, Paul Dennett. I'll drop the pommy, Paul Dennett, now. Um, seems like you're coming around from that. And uh, we'll catch up, uh, what, after day four, Paul?
2: Well, hopefully the lads can take a few wickets and then chase down the target on day five. Don't get too cocky at you, Aussies.
1: <laughs> Thanks, mate. Cheers. <laughs>
0: This is a Piccolo podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.